I preached here exactly 10 years ago. I've preached a couple of times since. But I preached exactly 10 years ago. And when Sean wrote to me to, obviously the date's been arranged for ages, but to follow up what I asked him, what shall I preach on? He actually referred to my preaching of 10 years ago. He said, what you said then really helped shape us and I'd like you to repeat that sort of theme. Well, I couldn't remember what I preached 10 years ago. <laughs> but being relatively well organized, I found the notes. And actually, I preached on the uniting of the nations in Christ, but did it from the Old Testament parable, not parable, Old Testament story of Cain and Abel, which was the first dispute, first quarrel, which has characterized the nations ever since, and how that was then redeemed through Christ. And uh, I'm going to refer to that scripture this morning, but I'm not going to preach from it. I'm not going to repeat exactly what I did 10 years ago. Any, any of you around 10 years ago? <laughs> okay, some of you. I won't ask who remembered that preach, because <laughs> I know preachers remember more of their own preaching than anybody else does, but even so, I'd forgotten. <laughs> okay, so instead of preaching on Cain and Abel, I'm going to preach from Ephesians 2 and 3, so let's read that together. Don't forget that you Gentiles, that's all the nations other than Jews, used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised, he uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you are far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Amen? <laughs> you know, sometimes people sort of shout hallelujah when you're preaching. It's even more important to shout hallelujah when the scripture's read, I'll tell you. Okay. <laughs> For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. Amen. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him. And peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens, along with all of God's holy people. You're members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself, as we've sung. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. 
Through him you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his Spirit. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I'm the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, in one sense, I don't need to preach this to you. Because even during this early, in this time of sung worship, you demonstrated it, that we're united in Christ. You're a multicultural church, ethnically, socially, and all ages. Okay, Because the church is meant to bring all those together. But I'm still going to preach on this subject in order to make sure the foundation of truth so it's not just a sentimental idea that brings everybody together. It's nice to have people from different nations with us. It's actually the whole plan of God. Because the key verse, Ephesians 3 verse 10, God's purpose or intention, when, it's, when the Bible says this is God's plan, we should wake up and say, well, am I in line with God's plan? God's plan was to demonstrate his wisdom to principalities and powers, that is the spiritual world that has an effect on the uh, physical world. These principalities and powers, they are angels. They are demonic powers that uh, operate under Satan and influence particularly the empires of this world, according to the book of Daniel. And they represent as well the manifestation of those powers in human government. So, it says, God's purpose is to demonstrate to them the plan of God and his wonderful wisdom that they can say. In other words, that angels who worship and obey God but don't fully understand his ways, that the demonic powers that dominate the world under the prince of this world and even the authorities of the world themselves are, who are influenced by these powers will all be amazed and say how wise God is. You understand? This is big stuff. How is that purpose to come about? Clerk, the Bible says, through the church, through a community of ordinary sinful people who've been saved, and who've been joined together in this new community. It's very strong language used by Paul here. This is the plan of God previously hidden, now revealed to the New Testament apostles and prophets. Okay, so that's, what, that's where I'm going. 
That's what this is teaching. That is the plan of God. So firstly, it fulfills hopes and heals divisions. It fulfills promises and patterns all through Scripture. There's references to this in the very early Scriptures. The early chapters of Genesis show how relationship broke down with, between man and God through Adam's sin and between brothers and the human race of brothers and sisters. All of one blood, Paul says, in his preaching in Athens. And, and so the story of Cain and Abel, two brothers that fell out and one killed the other. And notice, when Adam sinned, he was put outside the garden. Okay? And an angel guided the way to the garden so that he couldn't go into the presence of God. When Cain killed Abel, he wasn't just put outside the garden. He was banished to be a wanderer in the land of Nod, it says. The land of Nod is nothing to go do with going to sleep. The land of Nod is where you just wander around because you're right out. You aren't even close to the presence of God. And we'll see how that Paul takes up that theme. So Adam and Eve were close. They were just outside the garden. Cain was into the land of wandering. And he was given a mark, it says, as a protection to stop blood feuds going through the family in the generations. Okay, because blood feuds, many parts of the world, even if your nation did something to another nation 700 years ago, you still hold it. Okay. In Britain, maybe not like that. But British people have this strange notion that they are somehow special. Okay? I read a, a historical novel on, on the plane the other day, and it said um, that... It was a foreigner coming into England in the 15th century. So you English are very strange. You're always criticizing your own country, but you still, re you still think of yourself as superior to anyone else in Europe. I'm not sure that much has changed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so we don't have blood feuds, but we have that strange superiority complex. And so when they're in the land of Nod, though, you're far away from God, and you're under all sorts of powers. Um, one theologian, Helmut Tellica, said this, when the world becomes fatherless, commenting on that scripture, it becomes a weird and homeless place, and I'm driven into unending flight. Every tree, every milestone becomes a threat. So I try to charm away the weirdness with a talisman that dangles in my car, and if you've traveled much, you'll have seen them. Or I consult the stars for some dodge by which to escape being caught in my run of bad luck, which happens in this country as well. Or I procure lucky numbers to increase my chances and find out the dates and the times when I must be careful because they're unlucky times. 
This is the law of life in the land of Nod when the security of home is gone. Many of you can relate to that. All of us can in some way. That's what it was like to be far away from God. And Paul, in this section we've read, describes a situation of those afar off or far away, not near, in the land of Nod. And he's talking to all those who aren't the Jewish people. So, you know, you might regard yourself as a respectable Englishman. The Bible represents you as far away from God in a hopeless situation. Okay? Uh, but this is what Paul says. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. Or it says, he came and preached peace to you who were far away. That's with Cain in the land of Nod. And peace to those who were near, like Adam and Eve just outside the garden and the Jewish people. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Whether it's Adam and Eve and the Jewish people just outside the garden or all the rest of us. Far away in the land of Nod. That's us, but the gospel's gone to those close and those far away. And we can worship together on the same basis. Now, Paul uses the term in this section, mystery or secret. What is that? The word mystery in Scripture doesn't mean something that you've got to spend your whole life searching for. Will I find the key? No, no. The word mystery means something that would not be known to you at all unless God reveals it. That's what the word means. So when you read mystery, uh, in some languages that I get translated into, they use terms here that really suggest something that you can never really find out. It's quite... It's, and, and sometimes the religion reflects that. You, you can't really get in. But, Paul, but what it means is, this has now been revealed in Christ. So, now what's that? Is that the blessing of the nations? No. Because the blessing of the nations was announced all the way through the Old Testament. They didn't understand what it meant, but they understood the nations will be blessed. So, for example, it was promised to Abraham. The Lord had said to Abraham, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. And it was also in their hymn book, the book of Psalms, which they sang in their sung worship. Regarding Jerusalem, it will be said, Everyone enjoys the rights of citizenship there. Talking about the nations. The Most High will personally bless this city. When the Lord registers the nations, he will say, they have all become citizens of Jerusalem. So the blessing of the nations was sung about. It was promised to the Messiah who would come. 
It's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles so that that my salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. And then it's announced what God's ultimate purpose is. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's where we're going, friends. So, if all that was announced in the, Old, in the Old Testament, what was hidden? What's the mystery? Well, the mystery was not that not all would not only would all the nations be blessed, but all would be joined together with all dividing walls between them broken down. That's the mystery. They all understood the nations will be blessed and the Jews somehow understood, yes, the nations will be blessed and they'll all be blessed because we are the top nation and we'll bless them. That is not what God's mystery was. God's mystery was no nation will be any greater than the other. They would all be united in Christ. And that's, un- that's, our, that's the message that the church is to take to the world. It's to demonstrate to the world. So none of us think of our nation as greater than any other. And sort of with the increase of nationalism in the world today, that's being attacked all the time. And in America, there are some that speak the heresy of sort of America reflecting the kingdom of God. No, no, no nation. No nation is greater than any other. All are to humbly come to Christ and then be united in him, honouring one another. You understand? The truth, dividing walls will be broken down between Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free man, other nations referred to in Colossians as barbarians and Scythians. You see, at first, they just... The, the apostles taught that the, that the uh, Jew and Gentile be reconciled. Problem was that, as the church developed, was that the Greeks also looked down on other nations. <laughs> so in Colossians, he doesn't just say Jew and Gentile. He says, no Scythian or barbarian. Okay barbarians were those that didn't speak Greek or Latin so they didn't understand their language and they were looked down upon and Scythians were nomadic people that throughout history have been looked down upon and still are today you understand and yet in the churches in the nation that I was just sharing about earlier They've now seen over a thousand gypsies come to Christ over the last little while. Because they're all united in Christ. This is a very powerful picture. Whereas today, nations are more in disunity than ever. The church should be a place 
where that unity is expressed. And it is that that provokes the amazement of the principalities and powers who say, God must be so wise. Nothing else has been able to unite people of different backgrounds. Empires tried by domination, but that didn't bring them together. Humanism has tried, and we thank God actually for organizations like the United Nations, because it's better than having disunited, but they can't bring everybody together. Only God, through his church, can do that. What a privilege to be part of the church, but we've jolly well got to make sure we do this. Because still, in many, many parts of the world, there are churches which represent one tribe, one nation, white and black worshipping separately. We've got a long way to go, but let's go there. And so the church is one new humanity. It's very difficult to translate. Older translations say one new man. That doesn't quite work in English today. Um, one person. Some languages have a word which is neutral. And uh, in Russian, it's Adin Novokchelovek, which is a completely neutral word. Not male or female. We apply it to both. So I prefer to say one new humanity in Christ. Okay. What was the background to this then? Well, I've already touched on it. But the temple, which Paul would have had in his mind in Jerusalem, was a testament to division. Okay. So... In the inner courtyard, the holiest place, only the high priest once a year could go in. The curtain in front of that temple, like in the, in, in the tent in the wilderness when they had a curtain, had the engraving of an angel with a drawn sword on the, uh, on the uh, curtain. Because it was saying, just like at the Garden of Eden, you can't come right in, just the high priest once a year. But everybody else, you're kept close, but you're near. Then, the next court, only Jewish men could go. Sorry, ladies. But only Jewish men could go. The next court, Jewish women could go. Let's talk about separation. Separation between man and God. Separation between male and female. The next court was the court of the nations which the non-Jews could go into. Except in Jesus' time, they couldn't because there was loads of money changers and people uh, selling the sacrificial lambs and things, which is why Jesus was so annoyed by it. It wasn't because he didn't like trading on Sundays or anything like that that I've heard. It was because the, they were disturbed. The, the place, only place where the nations could go, they couldn't because there was too much noise. And so Jesus said, my house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. And for anyone who wasn't a Jew, as they went into that court, they would see a sign saying, anyone not of Jewish birth and going further would be responsible for their own death. Not a terribly welcoming 
sign in the temple of God, is it? Okay. And, and so the, the Gentiles would have seen that each time. We can't go. It speaks of division. And so, what is this teaching? Well, that wall was actually literally still standing when Paul wrote this letter. It was AD 70 when the wall was destroyed. But symbolically, the wall was smashed when Jesus died. The curtain typified the impossibility of access except the high priest once a year. But behind the wall in the, were those in the land of wandering, those a long way off. The temple spoke of separation. Separation from God, separation between races, separation often between rich and poor because um, crippled people and so on couldn't go in at all. Separation between men and women, division and hatred within families, leading to isolation, loneliness, and bitterness. That's the condition without Christ. Jesus, through the cross, broke down the barrier between God and man, the curtain. Amen? Okay? The curtain was torn. We can go in. Broke the barrier of legalism, of laws and so on. What does that mean? Well, many of the Old Testament laws were there to keep Israel a separate people. Now, that was actually important. Because the, the, the Jews had to remain a separate people because the Messiah was to come from the land, line of the Jews. So that was needed at that time. All those laws, they're good laws. Because they kept you eating things that would not, that would, and that helped you distinguish yourself from other nations, which is why Daniel, when he was taken away into captivity, wouldn't eat certain foods. But now, Christ has come. There's no need to, uh, there's no need to have division over what you eat. You know, now we can eat everything. We can enjoy all sorts of things. I've enjoyed roast rats. I've enjoyed maggots. I've enjoyed these things. <laughs> you understand? Because, and when I was in Pakistan, uh, our friend who leads the church is there. When I was teaching on law and grace, because and, they had lots of legalism, he said, once... When I was in the West, I ate pork. And all the Christians there were as shocked as you were when I said about the other things I'd written, I'd written. Do you understand? But the, the, all these laws and regulations kept people separate. Peter was taught, you can't do that anymore. And all these unclean foods, all the foods that the nations eat... And I love imagining that, knowing all the things different nations eat. All came down and Peter had to eat them. Because you can't preach the gospel to people unless you eat their food. So, 
So the barrier of legalism was broken. The barrier between Jews and Gentiles was broken. The barrier between every nation and every ethnic group and every social group was broken. And the gospel is preached to those near and those afar off. And sins are taken away so that every group approaches God on the same basis. So, instead, we become one new humanity. In Christ, not in Adam. We become a people, one nationality. We are fellow citizens. You know, often, you know, you go into a different country and it says, citizens, and some put it bluntly, aliens. <laughs> And we have to join the aliens queue. Even have to do that in Europe now. And so we... The <laughs> but we're one nationality in Christ. We're a community identified with one another. We think corporately, not individualistically. When it says, Paul writes later in Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit... We think, because we're Western, some of us, oh, that means I need to be filled with the Spirit. It's not the context at all. It's be a Spirit-filled community, singing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Yes, individually we do receive the anointing and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but we need to be a Spirit-filled community. We, we, f we know the presence of God by His Spirit when we're together. Yes, you know it on your own, but it's something special about being together. Be a community filled with the Spirit, says Paul. And we belong, as we belong to God, so we belong to each other. Because we're a family, members of God's household, it says in verse 19. Not just one people, but one people with relationship. Being a family suggests closeness of relationship. We share one another's lives. We have meals together. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, Paul says to Timothy, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Yes, that's the church. Not just nations together, but ages together and respecting one another. We work out relationships by taking responsibility for one another. So, so many one another's in the Bible. Forgive one another, accept one another, serve one another, encourage one another. Indeed, genuine pastoral care in God's household is not just from people called pastor, they're from one another. And then we're a temple. Background there was the temple of Jerusalem, as we've seen. In Ephesus would also have been the temple of Diana, where evil had its presence. And the church is now where God dwells. Each believer is the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6.19. But together we're also the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 3.16. The temple has a good foundation, laid by apostles and prophets. It was laid in the New Testament now leads laying in every church in every generation. And a generation in that context is not as long as a generation would be naturally. 
because of the way people come into our churches and others move on and so on. The temple had one focus, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, as we sang about. Amen? So it's built on a good foundation. We don't worry about the foundation once it's laid. The focus is Jesus Christ. And it grows. Grows in quality, Christ-likeness. In quantity, more added to the glory of Christ. And needs to fill the church. Sorry, it needs to fill the earth. So we must plant churches everywhere. It's the motivation for church planting all over the world. The temple must be everywhere. Must fill the earth. So, just one or two things by way of application. Firstly, this is to be practiced within the church. Churches often divide between rich and poor. Different nationalities, different social background, old and young. No, the church must demonstrate one new humanity. And every area of church life must demonstrate that. I'm so glad in my home church, our eldership team has two in Indians and one Ghanaian. That's part of our eldership team. And it's so good because we get such different wisdom. Yeah, I love it. A couple of Sundays ago, I was at my home church, which is pretty rare. But, uh, and the meeting was hosted by a South Sudanese refugee, and the preaching was from a Ukrainian refugee. <laughs> okay, it's lovely. And that South Sudanese brother is on our staff overseeing all our social action. Good to have someone like that doing that. Because we must practice it. We must show. Like, I'm so glad coming in this morning to see at the front different ages and ethnicities. That's wonderful. We, practice, we take every opportunity to practice this. It's to be preached. Well, you say, well, you're doing that all right. Well, or you, you may not think that, but... Uh, no, no, it's part of our gospel. The gospel isn't only, though this is wonderful, believe in Jesus and you'll go to heaven when you die and eventually be raised to the new heaven and new earth with a new body. That's personal and wonderful. It's also, the gospel is, we are being united together with all sorts of people we wouldn't normally meet, we wouldn't normally have a meal with, and we're united in Christ. That's part of the gospel. You understand? That's Paul saying this. I preach this. I preach this. I, he went to the Gentiles to preach this. When somebody came and preached something else, he got mad. Got really angry in the book of Galatians. Foolish Galatians, he said. Who's put the evil eye upon you? That's what he's saying. And because anything else is contrary to Christian practice, but contrary to the true gospel. He's saying, you're, pre you're having another gospel. We preach it. Thirdly, it's worth suffering for. Paul was not just in prison for being a Christian. 
but because of a misunderstanding by the Jews of this teaching. Originally he was arrested because they said he'd taken someone who wasn't a Jew behind that wall. He hadn't done so, but he so preached that that they thought he must have done. He was in prison for that, for this reason I'm in prison. And it's to be prayed about. So Paul goes on to pray. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he'll empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness and life and power that comes from God. Okay, that's how he prays at the end of exhorting them to come together in Christ. Amen? Amen. Okay. So, let's, let's stand together, shall we? I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to do something. Father, I pray for this church to continue to be an amazing demonstration to the principalities and powers of how all are united in Christ. Lord, I pray, rich and poor, different ethnicities, old and young, we're all wonderfully united in Christ. No hostility between nations, no generation gaps, no serving all socially so we come together, different classes, different groups. Lord, I pray, and no difference because we're all united in Christ. Lord, I pray that this church may continue to be that, may continue to preach that, may continue to practice it, be worth suffering for if necessary. Because in some parts of the world, some people don't come to a church that brings all the nations together. They prefer to be with their own. Father, I pray, let us be something very, very different. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now, I don't know how Sean and Mo are going to end this meeting, but I'm going to give. But as soon as it's finished, I want you to go to someone from a different background to you, ethnic or social or whatever, and just say, "I'm glad we're one in Christ."